You have no idea how many million dollar brands we talk to that don't understand what a standard operating procedure is. Uh, and if you're listening to this and you're like, that's a weird word I've never heard of, you need to start researching it. You're listening to The Liftoff Show, the podcast for ambitious e-commerce entrepreneurs, helping you increase sales, profits, and build a powerhouse brand fast. I'm your host, Austin Lovell, and welcome to the show. G'day everyone and welcome back to the Liftoff Show. Today we're chatting with a very, very special guest. We're chatting with Chase Clymer here today. Chase, do you just want to take a second to introduce yourself? Tell everybody who's listening in if they haven't listened to your podcast before or seen you on the internet, what you're up to in the e-com space. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I am the host of Honest E-Commerce, a competing show in the e-commerce podcast space. I don't know. Uh, there's a bunch of awesome, awesome podcasts out there in this space, just like Austin's. And, and um, I'm super, super excited to be here. Um, so I'm the host of that. Uh, but outside of that, I am uh, one of the founders of an agency uh, out in Columbus, Ohio, called uh, Electric Eye. And we help scaling brands basically go from $1 million a year to $10 million. That's our goal. Uh, and uh, we do it with kind of a framework that we've developed over uh, the last couple of years that I'm sure we'll dive into here in a bit. But, you know, without any of the fancy stuff, we just we make really, really good looking websites that sell stuff better and then help with marketing and advertising. Awesome. Awesome. And look, Electric Eye, I'm sure you've worked with loads of different brands. You've chatted with loads of e-com brand owners. And I guess what I'd love to jump straight into right away is what I guess is the hardest part you've seen of e-commerce in terms of brand building. You know, when you start with a brand that's doing a million and you're trying to get them to that 10 million mark, I think everybody listening in today, they probably want to get to that million mark. They want to be at that point where they can look at going from seven to eight figures. So I guess what's the hardest part you've seen in the whole e-commerce world? Well, you know, I'll answer that question twice. So because we, we're talking about two different kind of customer personas here. So if you're in that kind of going from zero to one phase, and in my opinion, going from zero dollars a year to one million dollars a year is a completely different business than going, you know, than any business that's above a million dollars a year. That line can move a little bit. But basically, when you're in that zero to one phase, you're a startup and your number one priority is how do I find sales and finding product market fit? And that for those types of, of businesses, I think is the number one hardest thing to do. And I think with businesses that are kind of in that startup phase, they want to outsource the hard work of finding product market fit to anybody out there. No agency can help you find product market fit. That is a founder's job. That is a product owner's job that, it, you know, that's something that you need to, to tackle internally. An agency can probably help you with awareness. An agency can probably get more eyes on your product, but they can't kind of help with an underlying product that's bad. They can't help you with your offers. They can't help you with, you know, making your product actually appeal to the market at a mass. Like those are problems that founders need to tackle. So, you know, the highlight of that is no agency can help you find product market fit. I'm sure people will have something to say about that, but that is the hill I'll die on. But to answer your question on like the other, other end of the spectrum. So with scaling brands, what seems to be like the number one issue and it's a lack of, like strategy to tie all of these disparate systems together. That's usually what it is. So usually what happens is, you know, around, you know, a million dollars a year is an arbitrary number, but I'm just going to keep saying it to kind of put it out there. But these businesses are usually, it's a small team. It's usually the founder and one or two other people, and that's it. And they're wearing half a dozen hats each and they don't have any time in the day. And none of those people on that team 
usually there's always, you know, edge cases and all that stuff, but none of them are subject matter experts, like in either e-commerce strategy or growth or Facebook ads or retention marketing. Like they don't have that, but they probably have, they probably have one person on the team that's really good at one thing. And that's usually what helped them get to that first, you know, notable level, get kind of get the business actually propelled forward and get that initial customer base and that initial data set that then a partner like us or anyone out there that kind of knows what they're doing can come in and be like, like, all right, you guys have Instagram organic down. We're going to come in and we're going to do, you know, retention marketing really well. We're going to, you know, start building out your funnel and start doing paid acquisition. And we're going to retool the website to make it faster, make your navigation make sense, make it super mobile friendly, uh, get rid of all this stuff that shouldn't be there in the first place and really kind of just pour gas on the fire. I think I answered the question. I started started talking a lot. No, that's fine. So I think what I really got from that was to get to the a million a year mark or get to that point where you're doing a seven figures in turnover, we're looking at product market fit. We're looking at, can you get a great product into the hands of the right customer? And then going on to 10 million, it's, it's a matter of making sure your systems are really strong with your advertising and your marketing, making sure you're diversifying channels, making sure that I think retention is going to be an even bigger thing is the fact that I don't think it's the sexy part of the whole online advertising and marketing space, but it's so incredibly important with repeat purchase rates. So look, fundamentally, I think I think that's very awesome that we start there because now I think what would be great to jump into, because I know you're a big guy in when it comes to systems, when it comes to having a proven system and framework that you can move through and take brands through and scale to that next point. And I think for everyone listening, they might get lost, I guess, in all of the different tips and different strategies, different ways they can do things. Should I be doing Facebook organic? Should I be going Instagram? Should I be doing TikTok? Should I be spending more money on paid ads on Facebook using this different strategy? Like all of these different things, you know how it is in the e-com space with a million different strategies, just like with any business. So I'd love for you to talk about the brand scaling framework. Dive into that. I know it's your proprietary framework that you and the team have built out that you take brands through. So I guess any context you could provide around the framework, what it looks like, and I guess for anyone listening, how they might be able to apply something similar to their own brand. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to tell you exactly how it works. I, you know, go do it yourself. I don't care. But if you don't want to, you can hire us. Uh, so we, we've we been doing this for, since day one, uh, hilariously enough. And, and it's this concept of if you send traffic to a bad website, it's going to convert at a lower rate than if you send traffic to a good website. You know, that's, it's, that's a simple concept, right? But it's evolved over time. And so... The brand scaling framework is we have three KPIs that we like to look at, and it's usually the last 30 days. And what we look at is your conversion rate, your average order value, and your sessions. And we use sessions and not traffic because we only work with brands on the Shopify platform, and that's the metric that they have in the back end of Shopify. That's the only reason that we use sessions and not the word traffic. But those are three KPIs that we look at. And so if you look at those three KPIs over the last 30 days and you multiply them together, it's going to give you basically what you did in gross sales for the last 30 days, because that's how math works. <laughs> so now you've got a baseline. Um, and so what we're doing with the brand scaling framework is we're just going to start running, you know, scenarios and we're going to start talking about the upside potential and where you should really focus your time and energy. And the first scenario that we, we usually show people is like, this is what happens if you dump a hundred thousand dollars into Facebook ads right now. And it's like, you make a million dollars. I'm making up numbers here, but you make a million dollars, right? It's like, but what if we fix the user experience, which is basically the number one way to increase your conversion rate other than like Kanye West wearing a t-shirt of yours on, you know, like the, the Met Gala is like, you know, making a better user experience or customer experience, however you want to say it 
will increase your conversion rate. So, you know, making your site faster, making the customer journey make more sense, answering questions that I might have during the purchase process, uh, making it super mobile friendly, all those things will increase your conversion rate. And then, you know, there's a bunch of other minutiae, like, so I can give you some really broad things that you can do, but the rest of it gets really tactical and minutia. It's like, you know, what's your AOV? What's your product? Like all that stuff is super in the weeds, but basically make your website better. Your conversion rate will be better. So you focus on conversion rate, make that, make that, you know, put your best foot forward there with the customer experience. And then while you're doing that, you want to focus on your average order value as well. And this is probably the number one overlooked kind of lever that you can pull in this whole thing is, you know, out of the box, Shopify doesn't offer any kind of upsell stuff. There's a lot of apps out there that do help. Some of them do better than others. But at the end of the day, it there's always like the, the lack of strategy behind the upsell motivation. So like upsells, cross-sells and bundles are the way you increase your average order value. You can do some trickery with like free shipping thresholds, but you know, you're not going to really do much more unless you start offering bundles and cross-sells and upsells throughout the customer experience. So we sit down and we, we strategize all that. And a great exercise for everybody listening here is pretend that your online store is literally a coffee shop and someone's standing in front of you buying your best seller. What would you recommend to them to go along with that? Because like you're trying to be of service. You're trying to make their day better. You're not just trying to sell them more stuff, but you're like, well, you bought the backpack of people. Everyone always buys like this water bottle that goes with it as well. All that stuff's really organic because at the end of the day, people like to spend money. They like to buy stuff, but they don't like to be sold. And a lot of like the kind of apps and, and out of the box solutions in, in the ecosystem are jarring. They take you out of the experience and, and you realize that they're, they're trying to get you. And, you know, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. But if you can do it tastefully, uh, and, and make it, you know, be, and it appears helpful, people will spend more money with you all day long. So those are kind of the two things that, you know, so if you do that and then you dump $100,000 into Facebook ads, now your conversion rate's higher. Now your average order value is higher. Instead of looking at a million dollar upside, you're looking at $2.5 million upside. I like that. I like that. So it's optimizing right from the start before you think about spending all this money on paid advertising, which I know a lot of, I guess, early stage founders and brand builders might want to jump into. They think, cool, this is my lever for growth. I'm going to jump straight into that and I'm going to pull that lever as hard as I can without even thinking about where that traffic's going or thinking about how can we get that two conversion rate up to a three or 3.5% 3 or, you know, boosting that AOV, as you said. So I think it's a very, very smart way to think about it. Now, if we jump back to, I guess, the paid acquisition side, back to traffic, because they've got those things optimized. How have you seen the whole traffic and paid traffic, especially on Facebook and Instagram, change over the past couple of months? I know a lot of brands, they're struggling with attribution and tracking and just measuring all these key metrics. But do you think it's still quite similar to what it was earlier in the year in terms of if you have great creative, you have a great offer, great product, and you do it the right way, like the the best marketers and best brand builders are going to win regardless of how the system changes. So what are you seeing from an advertising standpoint from your perspective? All of our clients are spending more and getting better results. Like the, the tracking sucks. It, you know, I'll, I'll admit that straight up. The tracking is terrible now. You know, they, what, with, with, you know, the privacy stuff that was released a couple of months back, like, yeah, it's a lot harder to track stuff, but you know, you turn off your ads, you're going to watch your, your sales plummet. You know what I mean? It's it's just because you can't track it as well isn't a reason to not continue to do it. Because if it was performing back then, it will still perform for you now. Now you just have to be smarter with which KPIs that, that you're watching. Um, we're building out a lot more kind of like cross traffic reporting, like cross 
platform reporting, doing a lot more Google Analytics these days because you can't really uh, pull the same stuff that you could out of Facebook and Google. Uh, so, you know, definitely it's more annoying to track, but they're still performing. I mean, they're more, they're also, this isn't just in the last couple of months, this is just historically, like it is more expensive to buy traffic right now than it was one year ago. And then one year ago, you know, it, it almost doubled during the pandemic of how, like how much traffic costs. It, it was insane. There were so many people sending traffic online because nobody was trying to buy traffic to their stores. What do you think's changing now for brands? When it comes to advertising, you've got this huge market of brands that want to advertise on these key platforms. What are you seeing is the, the differentiator between the best performing ones? Is it their creative? Is it their approach and how relentless they are with testing and constantly split testing, even though they might not have that granularity and tracking and being able to see those metrics? What do you see, I guess, from the top performing brands that you're working with and out in the industry? What really sets them apart from a paid acquisition standpoint? You already kind of touched on it there. It, it's creative and it's having this like this these machines, these systems built within their business to constantly be producing more creative. So the, the way that we kind of explain it to our clients is you kind of, there's three systems that you should focus on and you need to get these built within your business. First one being is you need to have an internal content creation machine built out just, just internally. You know, that could be, uh, you know, you have your own photo studio or you have a photographer on staff or what have you, you're churning out content internally. And then externally, you start to partner with maybe another freelancer or with influencers or with partners in the ecosystem to be creating content with them. And so then you have these two systems running. So now you've got more content for your, you know, your email list and your Facebook ads and retargeting and stuff. And then also the third system that you need to build out is get content from your customers, get user-generated content from them, ask them to send content in and, you know, you can incentivize it in. So once you get those things kind of fine-tuned, you just have so much content to test and to iterate upon and then just watch what the, the high performers are and then go and get more of that content. Do you think that's all it is right now? It's, it's content, content, content. Because right there, you mentioned three different ways to go and get more high quality content to test, to use, I guess, organically and on paid as well. What kind of content are we talking? We're we talking content of all shapes and sizes, more professional, more UGC. Like, what are you seeing, I guess, is the, the best performing type of content? I know it might vary industry to industry, but overall. Well, I you know, just taking it a step back is what's the question was, what are you seeing that, that that's high performing brands are doing that less performance brands aren't doing? It's these high performing brands are content first. They're making the investment in the creative and it is out there. Their Facebook ads are perform outperforming people who aren't taking it that seriously. And they really want to like, you, you know, if you're doing one photo shoot a month, like good luck. Like it, it, it's definitely, it's a different, it's a different game these days, especially once you start spending tens of thousands of dollars a day, it's a completely different ecosystem. Um, obviously it's an incremental step. You got to get there, but you know, starting building those systems as a younger business is going to pay dividends in the future. Mm, I think it's powerful because especially on the show, I've been doing a lot of talking, chatting with guests around content, how to make better content, whether it's UGC style or whether it's more professional style and just like pumping it out, constantly testing new iterations and just going and going and going, trying new angles, different demographics in the creative, everything you can think of. And I think it's what you're saying here as well. So what I'd love to jump to now, 
you talked a lot about systems. You talked about three systems from a creative perspective that you know all brands need to have. A way to create content themselves, a way to work with a freelancer or an external agency or partner to make more content, and then also getting it from the customers. Outside of the whole creative systems, because I think they're three really, really key ones, are there any other major systems that you know brands that you work with right now should have and you, know, you develop with them or brands that are listening in absolutely need to have when it comes to getting to that million, getting to that 10 million a year part? Are there any key systems that they need to be having? There's Well, first of all, you just, if you're, if you have a small business, systems are what are going to keep you alive. Uh, it, it goes beyond just e-commerce or, you know, a restaurant or, you know, a drywall company. It's, systems and processes and building out standing standard operating procedures once you start instilling that into your business you're going to be better than half of your competition you have no idea how many million dollar brands we talk to that don't understand what a standard operating procedure is uh, and if you're listening to this and you're like that's a weird word i've never heard of you need to start researching it it, it, it basically is you need to get all of the decision-making out of your head and onto paper, and you need to get all of the processes that you perform in your business solidified and standardized and written down on paper. Uh, and, and you create this asset, this company asset that you can then clone and reproduce yourself over and over again so you can get more stuff done and you can scale efficiently because you need to get yourself out of the decision-making process as, as a founder. So funny enough today, I literally was talking with a brand uh, and we, we were talking about... Uh, so this is getting really, really down a rabbit hole here, but the EOS system, the entrepreneurial operating system, which is the framework that we use to run our agency. Um, and it's based, uh, it, 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 the framework is kind of showcased in this book by Gino Wickman called Traction. Um, and, and it basically outlines how to run a business as like a framework to running your business that you can kind of instill into any, any, anything that you do. doesn't matter what kind of business you have. And it kind of just, creates a way to tackle issues and to solve problems and to accomplish big goals. You know, so that was like, I was talking to a brand today and they're just like, yeah, like we're doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And like, this is just how have we not been doing this? Uh, but that's not even stuff that we do at the agency. That's just like, you know, you need to have like financial literacy systems. Uh, you know, a book to check out for that would be uh, Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Uh, that's a fantastic read uh, to make sure that you're paying your taxes and paying yourself. And, and then, you know, obviously marketing systems, we can, we can go down the rabbit hole there if you want, but I would just say systems in general, like, yeah, we're, we're super focused on, you know, processes and automation at the agency. Before we dive into, I think, something that's coming up in two months, which, you know, an amazing weekend for e-commerce and obviously moving into Q4. What do you think are just some of those top three, I guess, marketing systems? I'd love to hear them from you. Are there three key systems? It doesn't just have to be in marketing, but for someone listening in, if they could go and spend the next week, two weeks of their life just developing those, putting those in place, what would you say those top systems are? Finding ways to get people that might be interested in your product, getting new eyes on it, having like a top of the funnel system kind of built out is one thing. And then in the middle... If you are not doing Clavio for email automations, just stop this podcast and go migrate over to Clavio and build that out and do it the right way. By the time this comes out, maybe our, I don't know if I can say it, but keep watching Clavio's blog and look for my agency's name. Um, and then just do what it says. Uh, so I would do that. Um, and then uh, whew, like just paid advertising doing that profitably is just a, a beast in of, a, of itself. And it just goes hand in hand with 
kind of retention marketing, so your email and SMS stuff. So both of those systems need to work seamlessly together. And if anyone listening has like, you know, some companies like to have specialists running each of them, those specialists need to be in communication, especially during the, the holiday season coming up. They need to be saying the exact same thing at the exact same time using the exact same creative. Um, and if they don't play nice with each other, fire, fire the one that won't talk to the other one. They need to talk to each other. That's, you know, their goal is to make your business better. So they need to, they need to play nice. So now we've got systems all sorted. Let's picture the brand owner on the other end. You know, they've gone and applied everything. They've got the brand scaling framework down packed. They're focusing on those three methods that they can bring new creative in. They've focused on, they've just migrated over to Clavio in the past five minutes if they weren't already. And basically they've coordinated their team ready for the holiday season. So let's picture that everything is perfect. The stage is set for their best Q4 ever. What's their plan for Black Friday, Cyber Monday? What should the top brands be doing? Is it just simply, we're going to run a discount, we're going to pump as much content and ads behind it, and we're going to maybe pump out a few emails here and there. What are you thinking as, I guess, the best strategy for Black Friday, Cyber Monday this year? Competition goes up every year, but I guess, what would you say, I guess, for the top brands that are really going to stand out? What should they be doing? Absolutely. I mean, we are already doing... uh like our, our holiday success packages is already launched with the brands that we're working with for Q4. Uh, we're already in strategy right now. We're, we're finalizing all the offers. Uh, so when it comes to what your offer is going to be, it needs to be simple. As a customer, I should be able to read it once and understand it. Uh, if I have to read it twice, you've already failed that test. Like it needs to be straightforward and I need to be able to understand it. And I, I shouldn't have to jump through hoops and it should be, it should be easy. So the offer needs to be straightforward. Um, and then that offer should be saturated across all, all of the uh, kind of channels that you're advertising on uh, appropriately. I mean, you can, you can switch up the offers if you want and, and you know, you maybe you have two different offers, but they need to be straightforward. So, you know, maybe it's like spend hundred to get X, spend 200 to get Y, spend 300 to get Z, right? That's straightforward. But if it's like, you know, hats are BOGO and t-shirts are 15% off. And if you buy this particular shirt, you can also get this hat for free. That's too complex. And I don't need like, you know what I mean? Because you're fighting for market share in the brain of your customer that's getting these offers from the 20 other brands that they're kind of familiar with as well. So you need to make it simple and, 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 and be appealing to them to entice them to actually come to your website. So make that, make that offer pretty, pretty simple and straightforward. Um, something we're already doing now is we're we're prospecting now when it's a lot cheaper um, because it's going to get more expensive the closer we get to the holiday season. Uh, so we're doing uh, you know some some creative ways to get more customers on the list. So campaigns to drive email uh, subscribers. Uh, I know we're doing some giveaways. Uh, we're doing some uh, you know free like some more content plays to get people kind of visiting the website to then retarget them as well. I wish I could be more tactical with that, but it honestly depends on your product and your customers. So like, I don't want to give you bad advice uh, there. And then honestly, it's like, you should have a plan before November and then just execute your plan and don't second guess yourself. Uh, I think that's, that's something that a lot of brands fail is they like, they'll tinker or they'll try to do too much. And you, that's not necessary. If you have a, if you have an offer that you, you are proud of and that you'll stand behind, and you execute it on all the channels that you're good at, and you kind of double down on those channels because you know holiday is a little more expensive, you should have success. I think that's awesome advice. Awesome advice. So Chase, it's been awesome to have you on the show. I think I'm going to re-listen to this about 15 times and take all these little tidbits out and, and go and apply it. And I think there's loads of value in here for anybody listening who's trying to build up and scale up that brand, get it to that one 10 million, uh, 10 million a year mark, and then think about what's next for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, which is 
approaching us very, very quickly in the holiday season. So I don't want to think the, re- the year's gone this quick, but it has. Uh, so thanks again for being on the show, Chase. I really do appreciate your time. And, and thanks again for, for taking the time to be on. Oh, yeah, I had a blast. Thanks so much for having me.